You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Hi, I'm Lance. I'm going to follow in Sharon's footsteps. I wish I attended here, and we did for a while, but we recently moved about a year and a half ago, about an hour away, so we, we don't make it back near as often, but that was, a, that was a great trip down memory lane. Um, I know uh, my wife is here this morning uh, along with one of my kids. And those uh, 20 months in the middle of the 1990s for us were just incredibly special uh, as the student ministry pastors here. And, you know, very excited when uh, Nick reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind coming and sharing during our build up to the 50th anniversary. So uh, bummed we won't be here in a few weeks. Um, our oldest daughter is actually getting married the day of your 50th celebration. Uh, so we're excited about that, but also bummed that we won't be here. But yes, it was early 1996. Jen and I came to Calvary as a newly married couple. I think we might have been married about six months or so, uh, depending on the date we came. I know my anniversary, October 21st, 1995. First date was October 4th, 1994. So I got the, I got the dates down, okay? But uh, just wasn't sure exactly the date we came to Calvary. But we live right down the street behind what used to be the old Sideshow Pizza at the Walnut Ridge Apartments there so I could walk to work. And it was such a privilege serving the, the students here. And uh, there was a lot of joy, a lot of highlights during that time. Unfortunately, it was also a time of some sadness and transition. David Hart, who was Calvary's founding pastor, became ill about six months after we arrived. And um, he was definitely, up. for those of you who didn't know him, he was a pastor's pastor. He had a huge heart for people, uh, for reaching the community, uh, had very similar uh, visions in my mind to, to what Pastor Nick has, and, and I learned so much from him in such a short period of time. Um, and as it got closer to the end, our baby had been born September 30th. He wasn't really coming out of the house much anymore at that time. And I remember visiting his house, being in his living room uh, with him and him holding our, our one-month-old newborn baby. And he was so much full of joy and the smile was on his face, even though he was really frail in body. You could just feel his genuine warmth. If you knew him, he had a genuine warmth about him, a, a genuine care about him. And despite the frailness of his body, he just had that full of life feeling even that night. But uh, it, that was the final time that Jen and I would share with him in, in his living room. And he received his eternal reward on December 29th, 1996. And as a 25-year-old kid, I remember it vividly at the time, I was tasked with the responsibility of speaking the very next Sunday after he passed away. And I'll just tell you, man, I was nervous. Like, if you know what nervous is, just that's what I was. I was kind of freaking out, if I'm being honest. I mean, he was the pastor of a church. Just to put it in just a little bit, a little bit of context for you, he was the pastor of this church for as long as I had been drawing breath. And now I have to get up and talk about his impact, his legacy, 
uh, the fact that this was one of the fastest growing churches in America at one point in time. And in the 90s when I was here, it was running about six to 700 people. And I was just asking myself, what am I going to say? I don't even know how to handle this. And I remember being over in these overflow rooms when they still had the accordion doors at the time. That was my favorite place to pray back in the day. And I actually found myself over here for a few minutes this morning in these rooms praying before the service. But as I was praying, God, just give me something to say. Give me the right words for this, this congregation. God led me to begin a series from Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to take a minute just to read a couple of verses because I think it connects with what Pastor Nick and how he started the series last week. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about the things we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And this was the verse that I really felt like God had dropped into my heart for that Sunday. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain, and by faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And what God had just spoken to me that day is even though our beloved pastor, the one that was here at the beginning that has led us in so many ways, has passed away, his life still speaks to us. The way that he loved, the way that he cared, the way that he preached God's word, it's calling out to us. And when Pastor Nick kind of built his message last week around this point, God is a creator, not a curator. That God is always building and working and moving. He's not a keeper or a custodian. He's not a, a collector of dust in some museum of a church. That the church is a living, breathing organism. It's life that God is the creator of new things so that as we kind of get to this 50 years, you know, a lot of times we look at life and we're like, Best days are behind us, or we're living in our glory moments. But I believe that the God that we serve is a God that can continue to do new and amazing, and that the best is yet to come, that he has so many plans that he has for this community. So as we continue the series this morning, Pastor Nick asked me, excuse me, <coughs> Pastor Nick asked me if I would preach out of Philemon, which Anyone know Philemon's in the Bible? <laughs> it's the smallest book in the New Testament, and I've never actually preached from Philemon. But what we're, what we're attempting to do this month is actually walk through biblical truths that help churches march forward that stand the test of time. How many of you know that there's certain principles in the scriptures that churches really need to have ingrained in the heart of who they are if they're going to really continue to build? So I want to kind of give you that backdrop and transition to this now. Any of you like to tell jokes? Any jokesters here? Anybody? Real joke people? I got, got a couple. All right. Anybody here are knock-knock joke person? Anybody love knock-knock jokes? Okay. All right. Thank you for the youngster there in the back, right? Knock-knock joke. What about dad jokes? Uh, yeah, I knew I'd finally get a little bit of love with the, with the dad jokes. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not, I try to be funny, but I'm not a joke guy. Like if you came up to me after service today and said, Pastor Lance, tell me a joke. 
I'd kind of be like, I don't got nothing, right? You, you'd be like highly, highly disappointed. But I am going to share one, so get your groans ready, right? So, but I grew up in the era, and maybe some of you can resonate with me. I grew up in the era of the three guys jokes. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Three guys were walking through the desert, right? Three guys were about ready to jump out of an airplane. Anybody? Anybody? Three guys walked into a bar, right? You know, and I, I, that's the era in the early 70s, 80s that I grew up in. So I'm going to tell you one of those. And I got permission on this one. We're going to do a three guys walked into the bar, okay? So... Three guys walked into the bar. They pulled up their seats uh, around the, the bar table there. I don't even know what it's called because that's how frequently I go to a bar. But they pull up to the bar. And two of them are sitting aside another. And they're really sad. And they're distressed. And they're kind of drowning themselves, if you know the kind of the euphemism, right? They're drowning themselves in their sorrows. And the man in the middle kind of looks both ways and begins kind of talking to them and trying to find what's going on. Small talk, right? Finds out the guy on his left is really upset because he's got, he's a new father, okay? And then the guy on the right to him is upset because he's a new father. And they start talking about other things. They're just wiped out and worn out. And what he finds out, bars in Minneapolis, by the way, which is in Minnesota, finds out the guy on his left actually works for the Minnesota Twins. And his wife just had twins. Imagine that. And the guy on his right works for the Four Seasons Hotel. And he's really doubly as depressed as the guy over here because they just had quadruplets. And the guy that's taken all this in that was comforting him now begins to freak out. They said, what's the matter? He said, I'm a driver for 7-Up. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. But Michael, I did have a conversation with Nick. I know you and Amber are expecting, and I asked him if we could change the name of this church to Pentecost Assembly of God. For those of you who don't know what Pentecost means, it's penta means 50. So how do you feel about that, Amber? Not feeling that? All right, all right. So there is a point, because I don't want you to leave today and have someone say, so what was the message about? Well, it was about walking into a bar, right? Because that would kind of be bad. So, but this morning, we're going to talk about when three guys walked into a church many years ago. They were three guys that had very different backgrounds on every single level. Education was different, their spiritual up upbringing, their life experience, their social status, everything about these three individuals was polar opposites. The interesting thing about it is these differences that they had that were so polar opposite didn't divide them, but challenged them to be reminded of what they shared. As they walked into this church, they learned that those differences didn't actually need to be points of separation. So guy number one, you've heard of him, pretty famous, Paul the Apostle, right? Formerly of Saul, he walks into the church. If you want to read Philippians 3, you'll get a lot about what I'm going to say right now. But he was a religious man, a Jewish man, 
deep conviction and heritage. He even talks proudly about how he was circumcised on the eighth day according to Jewish custom. He grew, and as he grew, I don't know if you realize this, but to be a rabbi back in Bible times, you had to actually memorize the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then ultimately as more scripture came out, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament. This guy knew the Bible deeply religious, great conviction. So much so that he became a Pharisee, but not just any Pharisee from his own words and mouth. He became a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the greatest Pharisee. He was better at keeping rules of religion than anybody else. So deep did his religious conviction go that he openly railed against any thought or belief that was different than Judaism. So much so, even more than that, that he actively and openly persecuted and even sanctioned the murder of new followers of the way, which you and I today know as Christianity. Anyone who followed Jesus of Nazareth was in his eyesight. And as I like to say it, he continued this way until one, time, one day God flipped the light switch on him. Walking down the road to Damascus, bright light blinds him. He is converted from religion to relationship. His zeal and conviction deepened around the person of Jesus Christ. This new, this newfound passion that he had led him into deep peril and deep suffering. Again, if you want to know more about that, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about all he had to suffer for this newfound passion of going from religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ. His influence on the early church was so much that it rivals second only to Jesus Christ. This guy wrote most of our New Testament. He started most of the early churches. Massive impact. That's guy number one. Guy number two, Philemon, probably not quite as familiar with that name, walks into the church. Well, Philemon was a man of significant wealth. Very wealthy man prominent citizen of a city called Colossae. If you've heard of the book of Colossians, one of the New Testament epistles, he was from Colossae, which that book was written about. Colossae was a part of the Roman Empire at the time. So he was a Roman citizen, prominent citizen of significant wealth. And when Paul was on one of his journeys in Ephesus, he met Philemon there. And when he met Philemon, Philemon became a follower of Jesus Christ. And Philemon, being the successful businessman that he was, had a prominent role in starting the church in Colossae. So this businessman becomes a Christian. He doesn't stop now at business. He starts a church and he becomes a leader in that church. One more important note, because it really has bearing on our story today, about Philemon as all wealthy patriarchs in the ancient Roman world, it was customary for them to own slaves. And Philemon was no exception. Enter guy number three, Onesimus, which most of you really probably never heard of that name. Onesimus walks into the church. He's a slave in Philemon's household. 
He wasn't particularly spiritual, no real religious background that we can see, and he certainly had no social standing whatsoever. He belonged body and soul, life, limb, talent, ability, everything he was, he owed to his earthly master. But in some way, and we don't know exactly sure how it happened, but he went against or upset that social order of the day of the Roman culture, and he wronged Philemon. History believes that he stole from him, that this slave stole from his wealthy master. And as you can imagine, in the Roman Empire, this was no small thing. This was a huge offense. And it's a cataclysmic class of culture now between what Onesimus has done and how it affects the future life. So what, and you got to understand it, because here's this prominent citizen, Philemon. What does one of his slaves robbing from him say about him? It wasn't just what Onesimus did. It was the impact it had on the prestige and the reputation. He advertised Philemon, his master, as difficult, even almost impossible to work for. He dragged, if you will, his name through the mud like a ball and chain. He lessened this wealthy man's prestige. And honestly, in that culture, no punishment was off limits for what he did. So Onesimus did what most people do when they make mistakes, right? He robbed and he ran. And his hope was, I'm going to go to the big city, and maybe in the big city I can blend in and get away with it. But guess what? Onesimus was arrested. Not simply in the way that we would expect, not just the long arm of the law, if you will, chasing him down, but he was also arrested by grace. And Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And as fate, as fate would have it, he ended up a faithful assistant of Paul while he was in prison. This man who had did, done so much wrong became Paul, the second most influential man in church history. He became his right-hand man when he was in prison. So three men walk into church. There's dilemma, there's drama, there's social and cultural values. Paul's a reckless religious man who's been redeemed. Philemon is a faithful servant in the church and a man of influence in the community. Onesimus is a disgraced slave who brought disgrace. All finding grace at the foot of the cross. So the stage is set. And this is what the book of Philemon, if you're ever wondering what the book of Philemon is about, that's the backstory. This is why the book of Philemon was written. So what's Paul going to say about these three different guys that walked into the church? I can't even say Philemon chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. So we're going to say Philemon verse 4. Let's go. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Philemon, even from prison, 
I hear about your goodness and how much you're doing for God. Paul is effusive. He's gushing, gushing about him. And what I love about this is that Philemon, the wrong had hurt him. It hurt his reputation. It hurt his standing in some circles. But it didn't harden him. The hurt, the wrong didn't harden him. He remained holy, helping. He is out there looking for people to actually minister to and make a difference in their lives. Now, Paul, as he continues in this, in this book, this letter, he moves from the singular to the plural. Verse 6, I pray, I see what you're doing, Philemon. I pray that your partnership with us, or it could be said, I pray that our partnership in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I thank God for you, Thyme. I thank, I'm so thankful for what we share. And there's a very interesting word in this verse, that word partnership. Actually comes from a Greek word, koinonia, or koinonois, or however you say it in Greek. But it means to share or to participate. It, it, two or more people, two or more people receive something together and they share it equally. Two or more people receive something together and share it equally. You know, when you're studying words in the New Testament or in the Bible, it's very impactful to find the first time it was used in that particular setting. And you know, the first time this, this word partnership was used in the Bible was actually in Acts chapter 2, when Paul is just, or when, when the writer of Acts, Luke is, Luke is describing, they had all things in common. That's the heart of this when he's talking about the early church and how they shared their, their possessions and they shared their homes and they shared their lives and they broke bread and they gave. That's the heart behind this word, this koinonia. It wasn't simply fellowship, hey, let's get together and have lunch. It was this deep sense of sharing something that they had received individually, but now they enjoyed together. It was a close-knit participation. It was deep faith. And the reality of it is this word was an action word. So when Paul says, I want you to think about our partnership, he wasn't saying, I want you to think about things. It's actually an action. I want us to be doing this partnership. I want us to be living this partnership. So Paul kind of says, Philemon, I'm so glad you weren't hardened by what happened to you, by the wrongs that were done. Your faith is amazing. You're still helping people. And I'm so blessed by what we share together. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And he's just continuing to talk about, even though this this has happened to him, and this has affected him. It hasn't stopped him from being who God wanted him to be and bringing joys to others. Verse 8, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, 
An old man. That was a nice touch, wasn't it? An old man. Who can deny an old man? Right? An old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I have a favor. Now, Philemon, I'm your spiritual authority. I'm your father in the faith. I could demand it from you. But because of what we really want you to get, because of what we share, because of what we share, I want to ask you a favor. What's the favor? I, verse 10, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Paul, you can kind of hear his heart and his words. Paul would like to keep this disgraced slave who's found grace by his side serving with him. But there's a better thing to do. There's a more important thing to do. There's greater kingdom. It wasn't, yes, did Paul in prison need someone who could be there for him? Yes, he did. But there was a greater kingdom thing that was at work. And here's what it was. Koinonia, what they shared together, koinonia was in chaos. The very thing that had brought them together was now shredded. What they shared was now broken. Unresolved conflict uh, remained between Philemon and Onesimus. And as much as Philemon was doing great things for God here, and Onesimus was doing great things for God here, there was greater kingdom work to do. There was koinonia. There was a right thing to do. And that right thing was these two people individually doing great things to, for God needed to come together and be reconciled for the good of the kingdom. And verse 11 says, Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. Paul doesn't skirt the issue. He hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. And right here in this moment, Paul clashes with culture and common sense. Culture, what does culture say about conflict? Culture says, avoid the situation, doesn't it? right? We're just going to avoid it. We're going to act like, hey, they're both serving the Lord. They're both doing really good. Let's just let it alone. Don't provide Philemon an opportunity to avenge this wrong. And isn't that how we usually handle conflict, not just in church, but in life? We either avoid it or we try to avenge it. Those are the two ways that we attack conflict, I'm not going to be bothered or I'm going to go over the top. And Paul says in this small little book, the smallest letter in the New Testament, that's not what we've been called to. We've not been called to avoidance. We've not been called to avenging. We've been called to so much more, something so much more precious because of what we share. Listen, there is a way that the world does things. And then there is a way that the followers of God's word do things. And those are in direct contrast to one another. 
And what Paul is attacking here is the need for koinonia within the body of Christ above all things. Verse 13, I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted to help you because you were willing, not because you were forced. Paul's just kind of saying, Philemon, I want you to see what I see in this situation. I don't want to force this upon, I want you to see what I see. Verse 15, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while. I love this. So that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. And again, this is where culture and Christianity collide. Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished to the full extent of the law. He could have stood, listen, Philemon could have stood on the letter of the law, but because of what they shared, because of koinonia. You know what Paul decided and Philemon ultimately decided to stand on? Not the letter of the law but the law of love, the greatest law in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, Onesimus has been saved. His sins are forgiven. He's found peace with God. But now he has to be sent back to you so that he can find peace with you. He has to make amends. And Paul's plea to Philemon, because of what they share, is that Philemon forgive Onesimus, not only for what he took, not only for the damage of his reputation, but for the goodness of the kingdom. And not just simply forgive him. Is that Paul's words here? Does he say, just forgive him? No, he says, Don't treat him like a slave anymore, but treat him like what? A brother. Treat him like your very own family. And this request upsets the status quo of the Roman social order. It flies in the face of what people normally do. And the reality is in any church that is going to grow and sustain and be healthy, God has not called us to do what people normally do. He's called us to live a different way. Koinonia. Almost done. Verse 17. So, Paul's kind of laid his case out there in this letter, what he wants. He could demand it, but he's not. He's asking. So, if you consider me, what is it? Partner. Let's say it together. If you consider me a partner. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Who was Paul? Who was Paul to Philemon? It's the spiritual father in the faith, right? 
who's built Christianity and started churches and is writing the New Testament, has done so many things. If Paul had visited Philemon, what do you think Philemon would have done as a rich, wealthy man in the Roman world? What do you think he would have done? It's red carpet time, right? It's, it's not hot dogs. It's steak time. I mean, it's, it's pulling out all the stops to welcome his spiritual father in the faith. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. You want to know the interesting thing about the book of Philemon, this letter? It's the only letter in the entire New Testament that does not mention once the name of Jesus. And you know why Paul didn't feel the need to mention the name of Jesus? Because in those two verses, what was he saying? If he owes anything, lay it on me. I'll pay for it. He didn't need to mention the name of Jesus because guess what? He was modeling Jesus. He was showing them what Jesus looked like. He was showing them what reconciliation looked like. He said, charge it to me. I'll pay. I'm in prison. How much money has he got flown into the prison, right? I'll pay it. Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus, not simply a legal transaction, but he's modeling reconciliation. He's practicing what he preached. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All of this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry... Who did he give it to? The pastors, one person? Who did he give this ministry of maintaining koinonia to? He gave it to all people who once were old and lost and ruined and broken. Who at some point in time figured out that the cross was level and that they could come and have a relationship with God. And basically what he says is, what you have learned at the foot of the cross, I want you to take out into the streets. And I want you to be the type of people that are reconciling, sharing, partnering, koinonia type people. I want everyone to know, without even mentioning the name of Jesus, that the ground is level at the cross. We're no longer slaves or masters. Now we're sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters. It's a new kind of society. It's a new kind of humanity where value is not defined by race or gender or social or economic status. In Jesus, they're simply new humans, new people, equal partners together who share in the gift of God's grace. Where was Philemon from? Do you remember? Colossae, right? And there was a letter written to the church in Colossae. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, which that meant to them, religious or not religious. Barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. You know, as we close this service, I just want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you. We live in a world that loves drama. We live in a world that loves drama. Shock sells. The more shocking, the better. Reality TV It's conflict, it's fighting, it's grudges, it's revenge. Conflict is avoid and avenge, right? Everywhere we look, normal is conflict, fighting, grudges, revenge. Life is conflict, fighting, grudges, revenge. And it seeps into and it sours our society. Culture invades Christianity. But don't let us be naive. It doesn't just play around the edges. It goes right to the heart of our faith. What is the heart of our faith? Forgiveness. Culture does not play around the edges. It goes for the very heart of what matters most to God, which is forgiveness. We have, we have, as the people of God, to push away from that table. We share something so much more beautiful. We share something. Three men walked into a church, and their differences didn't divide them. They only challenged them to be reminded of what they shared. Can we stand together this morning? Three men walked into a church very, very different, but they also walked out very, very different. They were never the same because of what they shared. And I know in this narrative of this message this morning, we've talked a lot about three men who've walked into a church, but as we close and we sing and we pray and we dismiss, can I ask the question this way? Who has walked into your life and wronged and broken and busted the soul and core of who you are? And are you avoiding that? Are you avenging that? What are you doing with that? I'll just tell you the healthy thing for any Christian to do is to learn 
as they learn Christ how to truly forgive, how to truly let things go. And for the church in general to thrive, it must be full of these type of people. Koinonia people. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.